when we first started, we just got a whole bunch of introverts and introverts are the ones that want to work in a remote team. They're like, I see all upside and no downside. The downside with a team full of introverts is they never talk to each other. So you get either massive email or Slack threads where they have like relatively minor problems that can go back and forth a ton. Moving to TeamSpeak and having the live voice conversation is really a way to force them to have some of those conversations quicker and establish a expectation that like, yeah, you're an introvert, but you will still have to talk to people. Like that is how part of like what our culture is. So like sometimes people don't know that they need to talk to someone else to, to solve a problem. And it takes like a one-on-one or like a project retrospective um, to figure out, oh, this is a thing that there is actually someone on the, else on the team that could help you with this and here's what it is. And so there's a additional a level of alertness that I feel like leadership needs to have to look out for things like that and just make the connections because you don't see everyone and you don't necessarily know what everyone else does. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Katie Kuffel and I'm joined by Brett Novak, Liquid and Grit CEO. And on today's episode, we speak with Ian Wang, the former director of product at Zynga and now co-founder and CEO of BoxCub, a social mobile casino game developer. BoxCub, like Liquid and Grit, is a fully remote company and it has been from its inception. But being fully remote comes with a unique set of challenges. How do you communicate? How do you establish culture and maintain high standards? We talk about creating systems from the ground up that answer all of these questions, unpack concerns about preserving efficiency, how to identify and battle invisible costs in your systems, and much, much more on this episode of Creators at Work. First of all, I'd love to hear about the founding story a little bit, but when you started it, did you guys start remote from day one or was it was it something later on? Yeah, we started from remote from day one. Taylor and I had worked together at Zynga and uh, we had said that, you know, after we left and took a break, um, we said we wanted to work together and he was living in Berlin at the time. I didn't want to move from San Francisco. So we're like, well, that's fine. We'll just figure it out. We'll just, just two of us, we can work, work remotely. And then because we were already remote, just talking and figuring out how to work collaboratively remotely. Um, once we started bringing people in, initially it was just contractors. So we would just bring contractors in. We're like, oh, we don't care where this contractor is. And then we started working with contractors and we're like, oh, you're really good. Let's keep working. And we make them full-time. Then we just pretty much had a remote team. So it was very accidental. None of it was purposeful. When we got to about four or five people is when we realized we, we probably should make a decision on, are we going to keep building the team out like this? Or do we want to like consolidate to a location? And neither of us wanted to move. So the two founders didn't want to move. So we were like, okay, I guess we're a remote company now. And we just decided to figure out like, what are the advantages, disadvantages, how do we cope with it? So that's, that's kind of really like maybe six, eight months in is when we really had a serious thinking about it. And what were some of the advantages and disadvantages? The biggest advantage was really cost. We were used to Bay Area costs for everything. And so especially starting off with art, that was just a huge difference, um, getting art from Asia and Eastern Europe, but dev as well. And the second thing that we noticed where we realized was that we were able to get really, really smart, talented people. And they weren't really worse than anyone that we'd worked with in the Bay Area, right? Like we'd worked with a lot of devs at Zynga and we're like, oh, these people are really good. The shared characteristic is that they live in the middle of nowhere in a country or a place that doesn't have a tech hub. And they really like the kind of work that we're doing. We were really starting off looking for a low cost and we found that we could also get high quality talent. So then once we started actually getting good people, the question was, how do we actually collaborate well? Because I had worked in a hybrid remote team when I was at Zynga and I saw a bunch of problems and I was really burnt by that experience and was trying to figure out how do we avoid a lot of those problems. And a lot of it came around trust and high quality collaboration. And really when you're looking at design, a lot of times discussions and designs 
you get into debates and you really want to make sure there's a really high level of trust between the people having the discussion um, to be able to have really productive and like open brainstorms. And so those were the two things that we really focused on is how, how to have the high fidelity and high trust communication. And especially because these are people all that you can't have a pizza with, you can't hang out and just like be physically proximate and like stare into each other's eyes and decide like, oh, I trust you, you're a good person, right? Can't do any of those things. So how do we kind of get over that and set the environment for all of that to happen in, during the workplace? So the, the big things that we tried a lot of things and the things that happened to work for us was one, just like trying to do games. So some sort of like any kind of outside interest. So we would just sp spend time during the work week that was like, to play games. Lots of different iterations of what kinds of games and how to play and when to play and who would play. But the thing that was really helpful there was just sort of the convention that it was okay to carve off a piece of work time to pursue non-work things specifically for the purpose of relationship building. So games didn't actually really last very long for us. We couldn't find games that everyone wanted to play. But the fact that we established that meant that people were comfortable just having kind of like non-work conversations and having channels in our Slack or non-work conversations and talking about other hobbies. And we just thought that that was a really good use of work time in order to create that relationship. So that was one part of it. The other part that we did was we became much more intentional about how we actually communicated. So we sort of started splitting off our conversations, depending on the type of conversation, into different channels and mediums. When you first get on, like you're onboarded and you're kind of an unusual onboarding, but you're told we have a TeamSpeak server. So that's on 24 hours. And that's the channel that's supposed to mimic kind of like tap on the shoulder conversations, quick conversations to like talk. Um, we've always had a sort of video chat option. We've tried everything, Skype, um, Zoom, Google Hangouts, and we've kind of like tried the different ones, but there's always been something that's a voice call or video call. And that's for serious brainstorming. And then there's always some sort of written documentation medium. And that's always for decision-making and documentation. So the trust building happens sort of outside. And then we have the three tiers of communication at different levels to match the kind of level of intensity or openness or like real-time collaboration that we need. And was this written out in terms of the decision framework and the communication forms? Yeah, it's, it's actually like a, it's one of the biggest things that people struggle with when they first join Fox Club. When we onboard people, just the way that we communicate was, is one of the things that people are really surprised by. And so we found really quickly that we needed to document that. And so really that became a a full set of documentation, not just around this, but everything about how we communicate. So when you first join, there's basically an entire Google Doc folder, and there's probably 30 documents in there. And they're all numbered in order, and you just go through them in order. There's accompanying videos. And so what we do is like the first time I have to explain something new to someone, we make a new document, we record it, comes back with all the explanation. And then anytime anyone else sees it and has a question, they just, they tell me the question and I add the answer to that document. So it's sort of like an evolving thing that answers all the FAQs. So when I have a new person come on, we just have them go through the whole thing. And so that covers not just how you communicate, but like a lot of like culture, how we make decisions, how we look at metrics. It's all your account onboarding too, but it's like really anything that a new person needs. And so we just have different folders for each of the different disciplines and they just sort of grow over time. I'm having some serious flashbacks to when I was onboarded to Liquid and Grit right now. Uh, there's a lot of similarities here. I definitely stole some of this from Brad, but I think we also came up with some of this independently as well. I think there's a lot of kind of like similar values and like thought process to the design. Well, because I worked with Ian and, and Ian's team, I think now in hindsight, you, your team and your company was somewhat of an influence, definitely for an influence of me thinking, wow, this is definitely possible because I don't know of any other company I worked with that was 100% remote besides yours. 
And I think when I worked with yours, it was like, okay, this seems to work. And then, yeah, the cost benefit, obviously. And then I remember there was the one channel I couldn't get was the, what was it? The team, the team one, speak. The, team speak. Yeah. That one was above my head. That was above my pay grade in terms of figuring out. I think that it, it probably makes sense for kind of your business works a little bit differently than what we do. And so I think that like it, some, some of that is really around time zone and my thinking around time zone has really evolved. And when we first started remote, we were thinking, you know, I was really influenced by a lot of the writings from 37 signals. And I was like, oh, we should be in every time zone, every whatever. And I, then I realized like, no, they don't make games and like, they don't have to talk to each other. Like their goals are extremely clear. And it's really about like, you can have single people driving a feature and we just couldn't have that. So then we went, okay, we can't have single time zones. We have to have a single fixed time zone. And so I have no idea how it happened, but it happened to be Pacific time, which works out well for me. Completely coincidental, of course. But we, we, I just said everyone has to be on Pacific time. And so it didn't matter where you lived as long as you work Pacific time. Um, and then we've since relaxed that now to be, okay, it's Pacific time, but only five hours of overlap because that's how much, how many we decided we actually needed. With those five hours, we can have everyone online at the same time. And so you can do the virtual tap on their shoulder. And the big thing for us with TeamSpeak is you don't have to dial someone. You don't have to make a call. And we just found that the friction of hitting call on somebody was too high. Like all these conversations just never happen. Whereas if you could just start talking really simple things that are just like, oh, stupid question. Do you know what this is? People will do that when they don't have to press the call button. This is probably the biggest rebuttal I get when I tell people we're remote and they're a gaming company. So this is great that you're addressing this. Is the complexity of the decisions, the collaboration, the creative process that gets eliminated when you're completely remote and completely async. What about the cost, though, the interruption cost? Because that's always been a big concern of mine. I mean, we do a lot more deep thought work at Liquid and Grit, and I'm not a Slack guy and I'm not a multitask guy. So obviously the culture gets very defined by the founder. I even, I opened it up. I wrote my, our communication and philosophy guidelines here. And then I did write out each one of them, right? Like Slack, I have first line as being on Slack is optional <laughs> and should be used for communication as something that's time sensitive or urgent. Slack is also a place to just socialize and chit chat and then email general, not urgent. And, and there's more there. And then meetings, the first sentence for meetings, we rarely, if ever have meetings is the first sentence on our meetings. And I just wrote out like you did, this tool is used for this communication. This tool is used for this communication, because I feel like the thing that I don't like about immediate communication forums is interruption and the feeling that you have to always be on while you're yeah. trying to do something deep thought work. And I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the case in my company. And and I feel like that's probably one of my biggest issues with a lot of the working world that I see outside of Liquid and Grit is this constant time suck for all the communication. And then there's very little time left for deep thought work. And then these people working extended hours to get their work done because they spent all their working hours communicating back and forth. I try to avoid that by letting them have the working hours be work time. And then I think it alleviates a lot of anxiety and stress because they're done with the work and they can go home. I think philosophically, you and I are starting from exactly the same place. So I share a lot of those concerns, especially around the focused work time, but also around like lifestyle and flexibility, because really for the people at Fox Club, right? Like people are really happy to work in a remote company because you have a promise of the lifestyle that comes with the remote where you have the ability to deal with life. And so Fox Club's main founding principle is actually like the purpose of Fox Club is for us to be happy. And so we need to make money to pay ourselves because being paid is a component of happiness. It's pretty important. But the purpose is to be happy and being remote helps get you that happiness. So there's the flexibility is super important. And then from the productivity side, being able to like work uninterrupted is really important. So how we actually end up doing that is 
we have a nine o'clock Pacific scrum. So it doesn't matter where you are. If you can start working before nine Pacific, you can start working at nine Pacific. You can not work at nine Pacific, but just get on, online and have a conversation. Then. But we have a scrum for everybody at nine o'clock. It's if you have some announcement that you need everyone to do, or if you have a play test in your project that you want more eyes on. Um, and that's, that's kind of our, our synchronized start of day. The two to three hours after that is when conversations happen. So before that nine o'clock scrum, um, we have a text scrum channel where you talk about what work you're going to do that day and who you need help from. And so you know at nine o'clock that everyone is online. And so if you need anything from anyone else, if you have questions, if you need someone to unblock something for you, that's the time to get everyone where you know they're going to be online. Once that scrum call is done, the scrum call is also part of this uh, relationship building because I found that when you don't see someone's face for a long time, you don't trust them as much. So we get everyone turn a video on. You see everyone for at least a minute or two. Maybe in the minutes for scrum, you can talk about life and your latest haircut and what you've done with your background, right? So there's like a little bit of just like kind of that bonding, trust building. And then after that, we go off of Zoom and everyone's on TeamSpeak. And so it's really easy to just pull individual people in, ask quick questions, make sure everyone who you need help from knows that they need to help you that day and figure out the timing for things. Practically, that's what happens. And so if you're done, if you're like 15 minutes in and you have nothing else to do and you've checked in with the people that you would expect to need something from you and they're like, no, I'm good, then you're good. You do your work that day and we don't care when. The expectation of the five hours overlap is if someone changes their mind in the next five hours, and needs to get something from you, if they ping you, there's a reasonable expectation of you getting back online and responding to them. But that's a Slack ping. And so if you don't get a Slack ping, then that's okay. We use app messages very intentionally in Slack. It's only if you actually need a response from someone. We try to group all of our synchronous communications and we try to at least schedule them all at the same time. And then inside of TeamSpeaks, it's a, it's a way to talk to people with the tap on the shoulder. So what we found is when we first started, we just got a whole bunch of introverts. And introverts are the ones that want to work in a remote team. And they're like, I see all upside and no downside. The downside with a team full of introverts is they never talk to each other. So you get these like either massive email or Slack threads where they have like relatively minor problems that can go back and forth a ton, right? And making games, like you, you really need people to talk to each other and make those decisions together. So that was the main problem. Moving to Slack or to, sorry, moving to TeamSpeak and having the live voice conversation is really a way to force them to have some of those conversations quicker and establish a expectation that like, yeah, you're an introvert, but you will still have to talk to people. Like that is how part of like what our culture is. The other thing that we found is that once we started integrating extroverts into the team, it was really hard. We lost a bunch of people early on. When there was one extrovert on the team, they would just quit in a few months. We just couldn't hold on to them because they were like, it's too isolating. There's no one for me to talk to. And so the happy medium that we're at now in TeamSpeak is we have a couple of channels in TeamSpeak. The two most important ones are green and water cooler. Water cooler is for all the people that want some amount of social contact and they don't mind while they're working, hearing someone else talk and sometimes want to jump in. And water cooler is specifically designed to create the real life collaboration thing of like when you work in an office, right? When there's a seating rearrangement, like when you move desks, that's always a big deal, right? Everyone cares about where they sit. And the reason you care is because like there's some prestige and some status involved, but really it's because you want to be near people you need to talk to so that you can just yell over to them to like discuss something. And so the water cooler channel is designed to simulate that where if you're doing work on your own, but you don't mind hearing some stuff and you'd like to participate in eavesdrops and conversations, that's, that, that's the channel for you. Green is a channel for I'm working, I'm available for you to talk to me, but I don't want to hear any of your stuff. So if you want me, I'm in green, you can come and talk to me, but I don't want to be hearing any of your nonsense. 
we have breakout rooms and the, the rule with our team speak is anyone can move anyone else. Everyone has admin. So you can just drag someone in and start talking to them. So the breakout rooms are like conference rooms. And then we have two more called yellow and red. Yellow is, it's the equivalent of having headphones on. So it's, or like some companies will have like a do not disturb sign. Like I'm focusing, don't talk to me. So that's yellow. So if you're in yellow, you're still on TeamSpeak, but nobody comes and talks to you. So if you really need them, you think about, is this a threshold where I would ping you on Slack? Like, do I actually really need you to respond? And if you do, then you ping them on Slack and they will get back to you when they feel like it. And red is just, I'm not here, I, I won't respond. So that separation helps us get the ability to access someone if you need to, and they're willing and not interrupt people when they're in a like concentrated work time. I love it. I love how intense you are in communication because I am the same way in terms of communication. Because I feel like when I was working in other companies, it's such a huge cost, especially with all these mm -hmm. tools today, which are supposed to help. They do help, but they also hurt in an exponential way as well. If you have a bad system, but when you get a whole bunch of people on Slack and you don't have any system for it, it can be a clusterfuck, you know, and you're just spending hours and hours and hours communicating back and forth. I think that the wasted communication is a, is a big thing that I, I try to get rid of, like get out of all of our systems. And I think it happens at all levels. Like it can happen in Slack and happen in real conversations. And one of the things that I feel like is really effective is not so much like how you're communicating, but like why you're communicating. You've managed to do something really cool, which is you have people able to own their own pieces of work in a really well-defined way where the area of responsibility is extremely clear. And that really helps with having single decision makers that are like empowered to go make the decision. And if they need help, if they need someone else to, to help them, they can go get that. But I haven't been able to separate that out quite as cleanly. I still try to make it really clear who's always driving each product or project so that when there is a decision to be made, at least you know who is making the decision and are communicating about it. Yeah, this comes from, at least on my side, from watching the movie, I don't know, of, about McDonald's. It's called The Founder. When I was watching that movie, I was thinking, this is genius because they use humans, but they have the process so clearly defined, they can scale it, they can swap out humans and the humans can't really mess it up. And I was like, wow, this is a really good business model. I can see why McDonald's became huge because mm -hmm. you took a process that was typically not defined. And so you'd get output that was erratic. Starbucks is very similar, right? They took a process that most people didn't define. And then the output would be somewhat erratic or irregular, right? Coffee would be hot one day, cold day another. It made a systematic process so that every single time you went into Starbucks or every single time you went into McDonald's, you get the same exact burger. And I watched that movie one night and was like, that is genius. I need to do that. And so I started thinking about all the different areas of my business as much as I could. I think, that, I think that it sounds like you've been much more intentional about that component of it than I have been. I, I don't think I've thought as deeply about that part, but that makes a lot of sense. And it feeds into my hiring process as well, because people are like, well, how do you hire these people? And I'm like, well, because if you clearly define the, the task that you want them to do, it's very easy mm -hmm. to test for that task. Whereas when you hire for a position in the classic sense of head of marketing or head of sales, it's very vague as to what they'll be doing. So you have to interview them on all these random variables, like, are they a good guy? Are they going to be good at leadership? Yeah. Are they going to be do X, Y, and Z? And when you have it defined, like, no, this is a burger flipper. This is a French fry maker. You can test them on their ability to make French fries. And then if they're good at making French fries, you can hire them because you've broken down the process in that way. At the same time, you want to build the system with flexibility because you want to be able to change. What happens when you need to redefine your roles? That seems like the biggest risk in something like that, right? Where you need that central planning commission to go around and redefine everyone's roles and reallocate tasks. The ability to do that rapidly becomes the, the new risk. 
Well, we've built an onboarding system extremely fast. Typically, what we find is if someone's really good at one thing, they're typically really good at another thing because it's generally characteristics and not skills. Mm -hmm. It's like they're thorough. They have the ability to work hard. They're disciplined. By having everything broken down to clear tasks, we built an onboarding process that I've made it task-based. So now my managers or leads rather can do it on their own. So if they want to adjust what they're doing, they know how to hire people very quickly. And they just basically define a certain amount of things that they want done. Got it. So you've really pushed the the ability to change the task definitions down into your org. And so that's where you get the flexibility from, where you can define kind of high-level goals and your leads are able to go and redefine what the tasks are and what the steps are and what the characteristics are, like re- remake the process effectively on their own. So this is a good example of how I think is... It's like I'm trying to be lazier and lazier in a weird way. For example, I wanted to build out my sales org, like I said, right? Like I do sales. I've done sales for a while and I don't know why I haven't outsourced it, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to write down all the steps to do the sales system, right? And then I was sort of meditating and I was like, you know what would be even better is if I hire someone, writes out the steps and then builds the team to build the sales org. And that's the mentality I've sort of switched in the last year, which is like, don't do it yourself, which is such an entrepreneurial thing. Sit back and continue to push yourself to think, how can I scale this more and more? Write out the process of creating a process and then find someone to do that process. The next time I need to do it, I'm like, go build a marketing org. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I think the point is, is some systems cater to more flexibility and structured system and the Navy that's like this, and just basically build the org in that way where you have, for example, repeatable tasks like writing reports, right? You can just like write it to like a T, whereas an organization that might be building out our newest product line or our newest process, that's definitely going to be a less defined org. And I'm going to have people that are going to have more autonomy, more creativity, more flexibility. And so that there's sort of like different processes for different teams. A lot of what we do is probably on the more flexible side of what what you're describing, because a lot of times we're trying to figure out something either we're doing for the first time or we think the market is doing for the first time and we're not sure how to do it. And so those are kind of a lot of the where the dependencies are. And I think that it generally takes more than one person to figure out the answer for those. I think that's why we, we need to set up structures where the communication is more fluid between multiple people. Good examples of that would be if you're trying to make a new type of game, asset optimizations is, is often an area where it's a, it's a big deal. So art wants to make the game look really cool. Design wants the game to behave really cool. Dev wants to do all of that and also wants to make it load super fast, take up a really small memory footprint and not crash older devices. And so then you need to make trade-offs on, is it okay to load in and have the initial screen be the first, the same thing every time? Can we save some of these cool assets to be shown in the secondary screen behind it? Do we want to preload some of this, but this increase the load time somewhere else? And so those are trade-offs where it's hard for a single person to do it. And decisions can ripple through changing design, changing the visual presentation, changing the technology in order to get that done. So like that's that's often one of the biggest areas where we're having those kind of interdisciplinary conversations. And I think that the, the setup that you have works for your business, but I, I just don't think that it necessarily works for every business. I don't think I would disagree with you about any of the efficacies of, of, what, you're, of what you're doing. But going back to kind of the conversation around setting up a game studio, I think that the content pipeline being extremely kind of like regimented or kind of repeatable. It makes a lot of sense. The thing is that content is not necessarily the bulk of what like a game team does. Um, And if it is content, it's generally figuring out how to modify the content system. 
not kind of use the existing one. And those modifications come with the same types of cost complexities. Yeah, I've heard this rebuttal that it, it won't work for games and I'm I'm planning on proving it wrong eventually. But I mean, we do consulting, which is completely custom, right? And we do a very similar kind of system for that. I don't think that our company lacks com- complexity. But- I'd love to hear about like where you where you have complexity and how you're able to compartmentalize that. I think that would be really interesting for me to hear. Where we have complexity. I mean, the biggest probably thing is, I mean, in decision making probably and like what to do next. I, I own a lot of that. It's very much built like Zynga where it's product manager kind of owns the decisions. That said, I'm planning on making, and I have been starting a decision framework to allow that person I was going to hire to execute that decision framework so that I'm just approving that decision that was made. And then I won't have to make decisions either other than just yes or no for what the decision was proposed. And so I'm constantly basically trying to replace myself. So I, I guess I, I could see the the thing that you're describing. And I think consulting is actually well set up to do this, right? Because consulting is you have a person that represents the company and the resources behind them can be kind of asynchronously accessed. I feel like describing that, like that makes sense. It's only if your consulting teams need to be more than like two, right? If you need, a, if you need to place three faces or more in front of your client, then I think you'll have a new level of complexity of kind of communication that you have to solve within the client service team. So I think it, if you have kind of your, your consulting service and there's always kind of just one face, then I, I can totally see that scaling with very, very compartmentalized roles and like much more limited and completely asynchronous communication. You're saying the dependency of the company wanting us to meet with somebody. That is a problem is dealing with other companies' lack of efficiencies. So I I see, I understand this now. This is very next level thinking where you need to make the rest of the world meet your access APIs. So if everyone else works this way, then you can continue scaling your business infinitely. No, actually, I don't want that because then they would be as efficient as us. I want them only when they interact with us to, to have to be efficient. I don't want to incur the cost of their inefficiencies. So therefore, they must work our way, at least with interacting with us. You know, And that is the problem with consulting is we do get roped into these things where we have to like politely be like, hey, we, you know, we're not going to meet once a week to like check in. And well, what we do, you know, what you can do is you, you incur the cost of them. So you say, okay, if you would like a meeting week, it's $1,000 for that meeting. Would you like that meeting? And then they typically say no. The problem with a lot of these systems, and particularly in games, is what I saw when I was a lead PM and director of product, is that the costs are invisible. In technology and in gaming, inventory, communication, access, waste, you know, like like, uh, unreleased products, all invisible costs, right? When you have a factory or a real inventory company, it's obvious that you've built and invested in 50 things because they're lying around the factory and you can see them. But when you have a game studio, you're like, oh, whatever, it's just communication or whatever we have. You know, it takes us five months to get a product out, right? Well, if you're a factory and you spend $1,000 on that piece of wood and it's sitting in the factory for five months, you're going to know it. You're going to feel it. You're going to have to store it. And I think with technology companies, and that's why I'm so focused on this is if you don't really dial it in, those costs can get massive. And those costs, those invisible costs can really pamper your company's productivity. Let's go back to Fox Cup. So, I mean, what are some of the things that you felt like were the downsides to this remote working setup? The biggest ones are the feeling of isolation. We definitely had to train people and teach people, at least early on, because we started doing this 
eight or nine years ago before remote was so widespread. And so back then there weren't blog posts about like how to set up your home office, right? And like, here's stuff that you need to tell your family members and your kids about like, oh no, I'm actually working. I'm not just on my computer. So we had to sort of teach everyone that when we were first starting out um, and just figuring out like how to do all that. What we ended up doing though was just hiring and filtering for people who naturally were just productive at home and could figure that stuff out. So that was definitely a cost was being able to be productive at home. Um, but then associated with that is feeling like you're connected to something. Um, generally, what we found is that people end up just finding that outside of work. That seemed like the most effective way to do that. And so we just sort of re relaxed our hours to allow people to get that fulfillment and happiness somewhere outside of work. But that is, again, it goes to the, the thing about like creating bonds and trust. And that's why I spend so much time and effort thinking about other ways for us inside the company to build that. So I think the cost is sort of like the tax on other ways to get people to connect with each other. So that's one major kind of thing. Another one would just be the like connecting people with each other is sometimes hard. So like sometimes people don't know that they need to talk to someone else to, to solve a problem. And it takes like a one-on-one -on -one or like a project retrospective for like kind of like what was hard and like what went poorly um, to figure out, oh, this is a thing that there is actually someone on the, else on the team that could help you with this and here's what it is. And so there's a additional a, a level of like alertness that I feel like leadership needs to have to look out for things like that and just make the connections because you don't see everyone and you don't necessarily know what everyone else does. And so people aren't, don't recognize as readily the opportunities or like who to talk to. On the first part, I guess my stance on that is that it's not the role of business to provide social interactions and connect connections between people. It's great if you do create those things, but I feel like that's overemphasized at work. And Katie and I have talked about this. I feel that leads to sometimes biases, right? Because if you think that work is associated with your social life, then you're going to hire people that you like. If you're going to hire people that you like, you're going to hire people that are similar to you. You're not going to hire them based on their talents. And then you're hiring people based on personal preferences. So I think it leads to some bad things. Yeah, I think that the reason it's important to me, the two aspects of it that are important to me is one that like people are unhappy if they like don't like the people that they work with, right? Like people don't want to stick around. They, they aren't as passionate about the work. It doesn't mean as much because if, if you're letting down someone else that you care about, who's like counting on you, you work harder, you put more of your heart and soul into it. And also you're, you're happier. And so for us, again, the Fox mission is to create happiness, but getting, making people happy is part of what I sell people on what Fox Hub is about. I think that's one aspect. And then the other, the second one is that talking to each other to problem solve is important for what we do and having those people trust each other in those conversations because they can be difficult is important. Having like having that level of trust is therefore important to facilitate those conversations. No, I mean, trust is huge. Uh, we build that through working together and then you build basically trust through execution. Through execution, you get more responsibility, more responsibility, you get more trust, and you start collaborating, working together. And I think to counter sort of what I said is we do have, like you said, sort of like the water cooler if you want it. Probably our most used Slack channel is the random channel. Katie, are you on there? Is it super active? Uh, it's reasonably active. It's like a beautiful little touchstone in between all of these intense working moments. Yeah, well, see, this is where I differ also with some founders is whether or not you need to make a system to make everyone happy. I generally am more on the side of people need to be happy with the system because the system is more valuable than the person in this, like the system. I adopted that from Bill Belichick and the Patriots. It's like the Patriots way or the highway kind of deal. And it's the system that is the value creation. And it, it's the individual creates value in the system, but 
but you're also finding people that work within that system that can find that, you know, satisfaction within the system. That's another part that I'm interested about in is where are you guys looking or like, what are the traits that you guys are looking for? Because not everyone can work remotely. Yeah, I think it's it's gotten a lot easier now because remote work is so popular now. And there are so many people that are doing it. A lot of what we do is just go on sort of the contractor websites, right? So things like Upwork, where people are already in the kind of like remote contract environment mm-hmm. and know how to work like that. And we just start with contracts. And it's I think philosophically, it's very similar to kind of what you guys do, where it's define the task really clearly and see if people can do it. And we start with that and just ramp people up. So if you're able to do the simpler things, then we give you more complex and more vaguely defined tasks. And then if you do those, then we give you even more vaguely defined tasks until at some point we're just sort of like, well, this is the direction we're going to figure out something to do in there. I so, think uh, that's just the ideal system. I, I really am confident in that. The ability to overlap the hiring process as far as you can as a business and I think as an individual is a great system because it reduces the risk of making mm-hmm. this massive change, right? I'm changing my job. I'm moving to a different company, I'm moving a different state or location for this thing that's relatively unknown. And on the company side, same thing. I'm going to give you a big bonus and a contract and all this stuff for someone that is not well known. It's great to be able to have this overlap for both sides to be like, you know, this is what it's going to feel like. This is what it's going to be like. And then ramp up from there. I think what you said at the start, though, is the key. So Fox Club has, we're, we're relatively small. So we've, we really haven't had to make or been in a position to make like a really senior level hire. So I, I do wonder kind of what I would need to do differently to make that work or to get to that stage. But I think for not the extremely senior level, I think the system does does work. And we've gotten kind of senior experienced people. And a lot of the times that's how, that's what they're doing anyways, right? Like we, we find people who are like really good and they're consultants and they work for lots of people. And so that's actually, a, even for people who are really experienced in what they do, this could still be a really good way to do that. I think it's uh, for people who, who aren't already in that world, who aren't already kind of doing consulting gigs or contract gigs as part of like a stable kind of structure. That's when there's sort of like a, a culture shock or a shell shock. Yeah, I haven't solved that problem yet. Where you're trying to hire like a management manager level, I'm debating whether you can just cut a manager's job into individual tasks. It's kind of like you can cut everything into individual tasks. To me, when I hear that, I feel like it's really, again, self-selecting, right? And I, I think we do that a lot too. Like we're really self-selecting. I think going back to Katie, your question, like how do we hire? We're really hiring for people who are already kind of like inclined to work like this. There's really a lot of self-selecting into it. And so I think that really what I'm hearing you say, Brett, is like, it's something similar. You're just more drastic in the self-selection, but it's sort of like, if you have your system and you're really upfront and transparent with people about like, here's how our system works and they're opting into it. then that's sort of like a, it's a consensual relationship, right? Everyone knows what they're getting into. And that's, that's what the structure is. I would say what we do is we just edit. That's our thing. We, everyone improves. I think everyone gets a lot of, a fair amount of feedback, not kind of in the traditional, I guess in the traditional, like one-on-ones, like, Ian, how are you doing? How are, you know, how are things feeling? I mean, there is a little bit of that, but it's, it's more so like, if you submit something, it's going to get edited a lot by somebody and it may not be your manager. I mean, it's a lot of times not, it's like mm-hmm. everyone's I say is a manager and nobody's a manager. That's kind of our philosophy. I think maybe this is a, a difference in kind of how we view one-on-ones because one thing from when I was at Zynga was that like nobody at Zynga knew how to manage anyone. Like we were just moving too fast and like everyone was inexperienced and there really wasn't a structured development. When I was in consulting, I feel like development was extremely prioritized and there was training on how to develop other people. And so for me, one-on-ones are structured not around 
like how you're feeling is only important in the way that it helps you develop. So like development should be purposeful and it should be led by the person that wants to be developed. And it should be like, well, here are the things that I want to get better at. And then it's a conversation around helping them. Cause like for me, one-on-ones are a chance to point out blind spots. And so development is sort of like, what are the skills that you're looking for? How do I frame the work that you're doing in a way where you get to practice those things that you want to develop on? And how do I show you structurally what you're doing that could be improved so that you can get better? So like, I I think of the one-on-one as like your development framework that all of the feedback builds into. And so the the one-on-one process should be creating the framework and agreeing to the framework. And then all the bits of feedback in the course of the work is the specific steps or the specific feedback that helps you like refine your model of yourself or your like improvement model. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like something we should do. I'm, I'm going to go back on what I just said, <laughs> but I'm going to add that what I would do to make it happen, which I have already is I would, I would have someone be in charge of that. So the manager wouldn't be in charge of the development. The manager would be in charge of the defining of what was to be done. And then you would have someone who was in charge of the development because I completely agree. The reason I don't believe that many people can do it because it's because it's so difficult and you have to be super skilled at being able to do it. I, I've talked about how I meet with a therapist, psychiatrist every single week. That person has been studying for years and years and years to be able to influence me. And it's been probably the most impactful thing in my life in the last decade. But the guy has studied for a decade to be able to do it. A manager at a company that hasn't done much training and giving it to somebody to do it, it's like, they're not qualified. You know, it's, it's very difficult thing. That makes a lot of sense. I, I would love to hear a year from now how that goes, because I, I could totally see that being a valid way to do it is find an expert at doing that and get that person to do it. Um, I, I think that like the initial kind of surface level concern would be, would someone who's not familiar with sort of like what the work is, know how to structure the, the steps in a way that they're reachable, right? Because like a good manager should be able to figure out like, okay, here's what you say you want to really get really good at. And what you really want is like this other thing that's really close to it, but it's not quite the same thing. And here's the work that we have that like is, is close enough to what you're doing that I can help you practice the techniques along the way that gets you eventually to the thing that you want, which is not necessarily usually technique, right? Like people usually want to be like, I want to be at this level in my career, or I want to work on this type of project. Um, but the steps that like as managers that we can help on is like, well, this next project that you're going to do, no matter what, has these elements that go along with what you're doing. And so I think that that would be the concern of if someone who's an expert at the kind of psychology part, would they know enough about the details of the work to be able to help frame that? Like we don't really place a lot of concern on like where they want to be in their career. My goal is to make it so that if they want to work at Liquid and Grit and they're competent, they can for the rest of their life. So they don't have to worry about going to another place but yeah we well because again we kind of focus on contractors and contractors have sort of opted out of the whole career path thing and so they're just generally Mm -hmm. not interested right like they're so much more interested in like the job that they're doing and getting paid and and again when i look at like what i kind of want to strip away from the corporate world i feel like that whole level up system we had like a gamified system at zynga where it was basically a leveling curve from games and I can just remember being on the treadmill, being like, like gotta level up, gotta work so hard to get that thing that says I'm A, you know? And it's like, okay, I was just a little gerbil on a wheel there for a little while, which is fine. It's 
great. Like I, I did make more money because of it, but I don't know if I want to recreate that. I love that you think about everything from the first principles, right? It's like kind of questioning everything. And I think in, you, like me, question everything about the way that work is done from whether or not you need to work in the same place and whether or not this is the best form of communication. And the system that I built is for my system, which I completely agree. The system that you built is most likely much better for your system and, and someone else's. But I think the, the key theme of it is questioning everything and whether or not it's necessary or good for the product that you're trying to create or the system or the company that you're trying to create. I feel like if I were to say a trend, because this is going to be a trend and I think COVID sped it up, but you're going to start seeing more and more founders who are just going to start questioning everything. And it's going to start bleeding into the corporate world as well. You're going to have bigger companies that we're already seeing in San Francisco say, we don't need an office. We don't need this. We don't need that. It's going to start going pretty quickly. And you're going to have more leaders to go, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And I think it's going to be great because I think you're going to get a lot more diversity in opportunities. You're going to have companies that are great for introverts and companies that are great for extroverts and companies that are great for people who want to be both or whatever. And I, I, I'm pretty excited about that because I feel like for America specifically, because uh, I feel like our culture and the way our government works, it's going to benefit us because we're going to be able to hire across all different cultures and, and countries and everything. And I mean, I think it's just gonna be good for the rest of the world too, because you're going to break down walls in terms of who you're hiring. <laughs> it's definitely accelerated. I think, I think COVID has for sure accelerated it. And we're, we've seen like a, a new wave of like remote collaboration productivity tools get built right now. I think that I was, I'm actually surprised that there are, the big companies are actually understanding it to the same extent that we understand it. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about companies that are saying, like we're full remote. Like I didn't think any big company would make that jump, but I think it was maybe Dropbox that just said we're full remote now. And I think that's the right way to go. If you're going to go remote, you have to go full remote. That was one of my kind of in, in my GDC talk. That was one of the points I really emphasized highly is I don't think you can do hybrid. I think it, again, it goes back to trust. It creates mistrust and misaligned kind of like incentives. So the fact that companies are actually understanding that and going to full remote gives me hope and confidence in kind of what you're saying there. I, I think that's definitely gonna, gonna move. And I, I totally agree. Like once, once and there's a critical mass of companies being remote, um, the ecosystem of services around it is gonna just explode. Like right now we already see like a lot of like 3POs and like companies that like help you do like HR and like companies that help you manage like benefits across like international borders. Like the, the ecosystem to support this type of company is just exploding right now. I think you bring up an interesting point. I think that we're seeing it on both spectrums on the ends, because I think what we're not seeing is in the middle, because for the large company, they look at the dollar savings of going fully remote and they're, it's eye popping. I mean, it costs something like $350 a day for Google to have, I don't know what the number is, but it's something insane to have someone come into the office. Like it's, it's, it's a ridiculous amount of money. And then you multiply that by like every worker. And then if you just decide, oh, wait, we're not going to do that. And the goal of that is to make, as you said, employees happy. The employees are saying, we don't want to come in the office. So the companies are paying a lot of money for something that the employees are saying they don't want. And yep. so the bigger companies have the infrastructure, they have the people, and they can look at the, the balance sheet and go, okay, wait a minute, we're not going to pay X amount of millions of dollars a year on rent. 
and we're going to make our employees happier. Like, let's do this. I think it's actually the middle sized companies that don't have the infrastructure for it. The cost isn't actually probably as huge. You probably have a one founder thinking it, one founder not. I think those are the companies that are just going to go right back to what they were doing before. Anyways, dude, it was awesome talking to you. Mm -hmm. I love picking your brain. You're like a business genius, man. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. And thanks again to Ian for coming on to the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait to make more of them just like this one for you. So until then, here's a little something to close us out. And then small companies, I mean, if you're starting a company today, and you're telling me you, you got to be in an office, email me. Like, I, like just email me, like, because this is ridiculous. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I mean, unless you're like building sculptures or something like- Email Brad, idea. he will put you on his personal contact list consulting plan to help you get yeah. off this. <laughs> exactly. You won't have to talk to him at all. He'll don't email me because I'm not going to respond. <laughs> uh, but, you know, listen to our podcast and uh, learn from us. <laughs>